You're now listening to episode 41 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli here today with seasoned real estate investor and note investing expert Dave Van Horn to discuss creative note investing strategies, tax strategies to reduce interest income, how Dave handles accounting and taxes, and more. Since 2007, Dave Van Horn has served as president and CEO of PPR Note Co., a holding company that manages several funds that buy, sell, and hold mortgages nationwide. Dave's expertise is derived from over 30 years of residential and commercial real estate experience as a licensed realtor, real estate investor, and fundraiser. He has raised over $100 million for both notes and commercial real estate. Dave also owns a considerable portfolio of residential investment properties as well as various commercial holdings. If you haven't already, check out Dave's book, Real Estate Note Investing, Using Mortgage Notes to Passively and Massively Increase Your Income. Before we jump right into today's episode, we want to remind you about our virtual workshops. They are not a webinar, but rather our virtual workshops are a highly interactive experience that puts you in a room with our tax strategists as well as fellow real estate investors. We will discuss a topic for the first 15 to 20 minutes and then open the room up for questions. This is the perfect opportunity to get answers to those real estate tax and accounting questions that you've been dying to ask while at the same time discovering what other real estate investors are asking. You could sign up for our virtual workshops by visiting therealestatecpa.com backslash virtual dash workshop or by following the link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Dave, glad to have you on the show today. Could you give our listeners a little bit of information on your background and how you got involved with real estate and note investing? Well, real estate investing, um, I started into, um, gosh, when I first got out of college, I had been an accounting major and switched to management. I didn't really like accounting that much. But um, when I got out of school, I was having trouble getting a job and I was working in construction. So I actually continued on in construction for a while, but I got a real estate license when I was 26. And so what happened in the beginning was I was just a regular realtor, but I was handy and I could find deals. And then eventually I started buying houses, what my first owner occupied, multi unit. And then I started buying houses with credit cards. And I had gotten that idea from taking a real estate investing course back then. And the teacher taught me that. It wasn't like I came up with the idea or anything. And back then it was different. Credit cards were different. Interest was different. Cash advance fees were different. I wouldn't recommend necessarily doing it today. But uh, basically found a source of capital to go buy the house renovate it, and then move a tenant in, and then went down and refinanced it, and then rinse and repeat. It's sort of like the Burr method you'll see on bigger pockets or something. So that's what I did. And I bought many properties like that, and I eventually got up to about 40. What happened then was my portfolio jumped up in value, and then I started utilizing home equity lines of credit. And I actually had about 11 lines of credit, and I started doing private and hard money. And that's where I first started doing what was later on to be the note business, where I was doing private, commercial, short-term rehab loans for other investors, and they would do them for me as well. So that's kind of how it started. Nice. nice. So you're, you're doing both today. You kind of have your own real estate portfolio, and you have PPR, the note investing company and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, PBR is much bigger than what I do. <laughs> um, you know, we own hundreds of properties nationwide and thousands of mortgages. And what I do personally is up down to about 18 properties, but I do some commercial stuff. So I do some commercial real estate stuff. And my main role at PPR was raising capital. And I had a previous background in raising capital for commercial deals before I got into the note business. So uh, I had been raising capital for syndications. I've been doing syndications about 20 years. Did syndications for you know mobile home parks, storage centers. Did some for some commercial office condo, like new development, that type of thing. And then I went into the note space. And today, I still do some commercial you know, holdings and investments. Nice, nice. So before we get too far deep into the note stuff, um, would you mind just giving some of our listeners a little bit of information on what a note is? Like what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what is a note? note? Um, a note is a musical symbol. And it wasn't that long ago, I thought uh, alone meant to be all by myself. But no, and all kidding aside, a note is just a promise to pay. When I'm talking about notes, I'm really talking about one to four family residential mortgages in my world is predominantly where we play. And it's nationwide and it's first mortgages, junior liens, that type of thing. We occasionally do some unsecured stuff that we usually sell off, but that's we're in the institutional note space as well. So when I'm talking about notes, I'm referring to a note and a mortgage, just like you would have at Bank of America or Wells Fargo on your primary residence. Sometimes people say, I still don't understand what you do. And I say, we'll stop paying on your mortgage and you'll quickly learn what we do. So we are somewhat in the loss mitigation and collection space. We deal a lot with that. But the note business, I tell people, everybody's in the note business. Most of us are. We have credit cards, student loans, auto debt. I just happen to be in secured debt. And it's just a space I like because if I can buy an asset at a discount with a high yield with collateral, I like the collateral parts, what's sexy for me, then you know I feel good about that investment. Okay, so before we just jump into some of the note investing strategies, just out of curiosity, uh, so you know you did syndications, you had a real estate portfolio. What is it so appealing about notes that that's kind of like sounds like it's your your more primary strategy at this point? Well, it just grew, <laughs> but uh, I do. You know, I'll probably always own real estate. A, a lot of people do. You know, consider me this note guy or note guru. But in reality, I'm always going to own real estate. I, it has a lot of tax advantages. It has de- depreciation. I look at notes as just another bucket, another vehicle. And I, I look at, you know, I have multiple buckets. I have multiple businesses, multiple entities. You probably have over 30 to 40 entities. So I have several businesses. I have, you know, a lot of different things going on. But you're right. The note space I do like because I can scale it. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, if you ask Bank of America, would they rather own 30 million properties or have 30 million mortgages? Sure. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so would you mind if we could walk through some of the common note investing strategies? I know a lot of our clients sometimes ask us about, you know, if I'm, they're going to invest in notes, what type should they do? And, you know, we have hard money, we have private money, distressed debt, and, you know, note funds itself, you know, the fund the notes. Would sure. you mind discussing a little bit about each of those strategies and the risk and return profile of each? Well, first, I a lot of times when I'm talking to new investors... I let them know that there's two note worlds, so to speak. One is the seller financed, you know, owner financing type of note world. And then the other one's the institutional note world, which are very different. So when I first got started into notes, it was just learning about it from a national RIA meeting, you know, going to meetups, that type of thing. They didn't call them meetups back then. But the interesting thing was like if I could sell a house by holding a second mortgage, you could buy it from me with little money down or, you know, little closing costs by me holding the second mortgage. Or if you 
you know, I would make multiple offers. I, I was in the We Buy Houses business for a little bit. I would make several offers on the same property. Like, here's an offer if you give me owner financing. Here's an offer if I can buy it subject to the mortgage, existing mortgage. Here's a different offer if I can buy it with you holding a second mortgage. Here's an offer from all cash. Now, I didn't give them 42 offers. I would you know, interview the seller to determine their hot button and then kind of craft two or three offers based on that. So that's kind of how that started. And then I also was doing private money, which is similar to hard money. It's a little more favorable terms. So I started doing that. And then... So I started in the seller financed world uh, and then drifted into the institutional world kind of by accident. I was uh, running a real estate meeting and I would interview speakers. And we had a speaker out of New York that was raising capital for pools of distressed mortgages. And that's kind of how I first got into it. Really interesting. So we have quite a few clients. Uh, and I'm sure we have quite a few listeners who, you know, probably prior to this, don't even know that notes exist or that there's even a market for it. So what are some like beginner level tips that you would give to somebody that's really green in this space? Maybe they have some real estate experience, but they realize, oh, notes can provide pretty solid cash flow, a pretty solid return. The exit strategies are relatively safer comparatively. What what are some beginner tips that you would provide to somebody that's interested in exploring or potentially starting their own note portfolio? Well, in the beginning, I think you got to play it a little safe, right? It's like anything you start out that's new. It could be playing the guitar, right? You have to get educated in the space. You got to uh, network with people doing it or build relationships with folks doing it. And then trying to find a coach, a mentor, could be a JV partner. You can shadow someone else's deal. You don't have to go in and lose all your money. You know, I'm not big on that. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I think there's ways to do it safely. And a lot of times when people are starting out in the note business, they'll start out with maybe their first deal is a hard money deal, or you can start out small too. I see young folks in my office will start out on prosper.com or lending club with small $25 notes, right? Nobody says it has to be a $50,000 note is how you start off. But the other side of it is, I think it's safer in performing notes, obviously, because they pay. So if you can invest in performing notes at first, and then if you're going to venture into non-performing, just be aware of what you're getting into. You know, Utilize a servicer if you're going to hold notes, if you're going to do especially institutional stuff. And then um, you know, it's just doing your homework on the non-performing side. If you're buying vacant you know, first mortgages, you got good odds of you know, getting the property, for example. So it's just another way to obtain deals sometimes. And the note business, what I liked about it was it positioned you into a deal sometimes for a small amount of money, or it got you into a deal ahead of everybody else. So you're ahead of the sheriff sale, you're ahead of the We Buy Houses folks, for example. And that was one of the things that intrigued me when I could just go buy a delinquent asset directly from a bank. You know? And when you say you're ahead of everybody else, you mean that you have that first or second or whatever lean position and they have to pay you off before they can actually acquire the home? Well, that or I could get to the deal ahead of other people. So, oh, okay. yeah, you know, so some people are going to the sheriff's sale, for example, to get deals. Well, if I buy the note, I'm buying the asset from the bank before it even got to the sheriff's sale. That's kind of what I meant. Yeah. How do you go about like finding those types of notes? Like, how would an average person figure out that? Oh man, there's this listing of notes. <laughs> whole world out there. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's online sources, you know, like the auction.coms and the note MLSs. There's loan exchanges like you know FCI Exchange, although they changed the name of that. So there's online exchanges. There's also note funds like PPR is a note fund. There's probably hundreds of note funds that sell notes. And then there's also brokers that sell notes. So there's you know various trade desks. 
So there's all types of different platforms where you're, you know what it is. If you're new to it, you're just not as familiar with it. But it's a, it's a whole other world. It's a trillion-dollar industry. It's like anything else. You do have to go learn what it's about. I mean, you can't just venture into it and go, oh, I'm going to experiment. I mean, you can, but it could, could come back and haunt you a little bit. But Yeah, absolutely. Any quick-hitting tips on buying or selling partials? You know, I, I know a lot about them, but I've never done them. I have friends that are experts in them. It's more of a seller finance technique a lot of times, but people can do that. They can sell the next you know, five years of payments. Uh, you can sell that at a, a different interest rate than what you're getting on your, on your asset. For me, I'm just in a... I have larger volumes of notes. So it would be, it would be like me micromanaging my portfolio. I'm not, nothing against it. I don't want people to take it the wrong way or... Uh, but I just never, I never had time to do it to be straight up. Can you explain real quick what a partial is for those that don't know? Well, you know, you're bringing up a good point. Uh, selling a partial is just another way to recapitalize on your note. And, you know, I do like to point out, especially to real estate investors that they often think if I buy a note, I'm stuck in this asset for 20 or 30 years. And that's not really the case. You can recapitalize by borrowing against the note, which is called a collateral assignment of note mortgage, or you can sell the note or you can flip the note. You can sell a piece of the note. And selling a partial is where you're selling a piece of the note where you can actually sell the next you know, five years of payments or 10 years of payments. You can keep the back end. Some people employ that strategy with their IRA accounts, that type of thing, where they try to flip the buy a note and flip the front end of the note, get all their money back keep the back end in their retirement account, things like that. So you see people create all kinds of creative strategies from that. Very interesting. So good stuff so far. We are a tax and accounting podcast. So we're going to move into some tax questions. Hope you're ready for that. Oh boy. <laughs> I never did complete my accounting degree. So, but I'll muddle my way through as uh, I actually yeah. have. We'll, we'll, we'll throw you some, uh, some easy some ones. <laughs> but I have three, uh, three accountants on staff actually like in the office. So yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We need to get them on. <laughs> so we do. It. Yeah, right. You're talking to the wrong guy at this guy. <laughs> so let's talk tax strategies. So what are what are some? I, I guess before I ask this, you know, when somebody buys a rental property, there's depreciation. There's different offsets to kind of mitigate any sort of tax liability that might come from the taxable income. Right. We can drive the taxable income down, create passive losses, and optimize for taxes with rental properties with notes. You have interest income, and sometimes you have capital gain depending on how you structure your notes. So, an interest income is relatively difficult to shelter. So, what are some things that either you have done personally, or maybe you've seen clients do to optimize for taxes when buying notes or portfolios of notes? Well, you're saying a lot of things, and there's a lot of different strategies people employ. You're right. With notes, you're limited. Like, for example, you're just not going to have depreciation that doesn't flat out exist, right? right? And you do usually have either uh, interest income or a short-term or long-term capital gain, depending if you own the note a year and a day or longer. Or you're like me, where we do so much note business that it's really just inventory to us. So we don't get that advantage of... We started out as investors. We kind of became a club. Then we became a business. Now we're like this enduring enterprise thing. (laughs) So that all goes away, right? In fact, today, when we do modifications... You know, we use an accrual method. We actually have to pay tax on the mod, whether I sell that asset or not, right? Mm-hmm. So 
it goes to the other nth degree, right? But there are some advantages with nodes that people don't think about. You can invest through any kind of qualified plan. So we see people do Coverdales and all kinds of things with nodes to limit taxation that way. Another strategy that I've employed was I'm a realtor, so I can have unlimited passive losses. And if I have earned income at work at PPR, I can offset some of that. And then the same way with K-1 income, you can have losses on other K-1s that offset the gains on your other K-1. Like There's all kinds of strategies that people employ. But you're right, it's harder to hide in the actual note world. But there are some unique characteristics about the note that still makes it fun. So I'll give you an example. Uh, There's what we call phantom appreciation. So there's not appreciation like in a house that goes up in value. You know, you bought a house for fifty thousand, and ten years from now it's worth you know a hundred thousand. You're not really going to experience that. But there's what's called phantom appreciation, where I might buy a note that is partially or not all the way covered with equity, and now all of a sudden the real estate market comes back, and the asset behind the note has full coverage of equity now, and that asset that I bought at a discount all of a sudden became valuable. That's phantom appreciation. And there's also situations where I've had notes where I collected payments for three years or five years and could sell the note for the same price I could sell it for today. Mm. That's a unique dynamic too. So some of it is timing and there's multiple strategies there. And then the other thing is I see people employing these types of strategies where the payments from the note pay off a longer term debt. So Perfect example of that was my son when he went to college, right? He took out a student loan. We were making the arbitrage off not paying money out of our pocket for college. The student loan paid for college. So we kept our investment dollars working instead of paying for college. Then when he got done, we actually bought a note for about a 30, 40% of the face value of the debt. So in other words, you know, I might buy a hundred thousand dollar mortgage for thirty or forty thousand that's reperforming, especially if it was a junior lien. Well, now I take that monthly payment from that note that's performing and can pay my student loan with it. So basically, I'm paying off my student loan for a third or 30, 40% of what I owed. So that's the power of the cash flowing payment. Now, you can do that with any investment, but that's the power of the investment paying for something. Another scenario of that is uh, you know, I had a good buddy, took out a home equity line, a loan to put an addition on his house, and he borrowed extra and he bought a note with the extra. And then the payment from the note paid back the equity loan and he got a free addition. Well, that's Mm. cool, right? Did he get all the tax advantages there? Well, I'll leave that up to you, (laughs) smart guys. I'm not that smart, right? But you get the (laughs) idea, right? There are strategies that you can employ that are pretty neat. Even in the student loan case, sometimes student loan interest is deductible. You got to kind of step back, look at the whole picture. So it's not always... Sometimes it's how we pay our debt or how we pay liabilities. So it was funny. Um, you know, my son did the same thing. He he moved to California, and he bought had a used car, and the used car went. And he calls me up, and he goes, "Do you have any short term notes laying around?" And he wanted a car. So what he did was he had enough money that would only bought a used car, but instead he bought a seven year note, and the payments on the note he was able to lease a brand new Prius, huh. which is pretty cool, right? So he leased the brand new Prius. He had like forty five hundred bucks, something like that, and he bought this note, and the note paid the payments on the Prius and he was able to drive a lot longer in a brand new car instead of a used car. So a lot of it's how we utilize these instruments. You know, how do my investments pay my liabilities kind of thing. 
Perfect. Just to kind of rehash some of that, we talked about buying notes in a qualified retirement plan. So that's a solo 401k or self-directed IRA, something along those lines. Yes. And people can self-direct and pick those notes up. And in order to set something like that up, you do need some earned income. So if you only have your W-2 gig, uh, you typically cannot just go and create a solo 401k or self-directed IRA. Uh, so make sure that you do touch base with a professional before you go that route. But that is something that we see a lot of our clients do as well. So they'll buy a bunch of notes in their retirement plans, their solo 401ks or self-directed IRAs. You also said that you qualify as a real estate professional. And what that means is that you can take an unlimited amount of passive losses. So you probably have a rental portfolio or LP, limited partnership investments that generate these passive losses that can offset the income coming in from the note portfolio. So that's a great strategy as well. And you mentioned one more, which was kind of like a timing thing with the limited partnership losses. And that's something that we haven't really touched base on too much, I think, in these podcasts yet. But it's a really interesting strategy, especially after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. If I have $50,000 and I'm going to go and place that $50,000 into a real estate syndicate, and then the syndicate goes and buys a $10 million apartment complex, they do this cost segregation study. Well, now they can almost immediately write off $2.5 to $3 million. 25 to 30% of the purchase price is what we're seeing rather consistently with our clients that are investing in these syndicates and the syndicates that we represent. With the bonus depreciation from a cost segregation study, they're able to write off you know, $2.5 to $3 million on that $10 million purchase. Well, if I invested $50,000, there's a good chance that I'm going to get 45 k or 50 k back and it's going to be a passive loss so that it'll say a passive loss my tax return for 45 to 50 k and, and what I can do is time these LP, these limited partnership investments with my income fluctuating. So if I go big in on notes in 2020 and I have $50,000 in interest income and I qualify as a real estate professional or I'm doing other things to be able to use the passive losses to offset that interest income. Maybe I put $50,000 into a syndicate that's going to do a cost seg study that's going to give me a 45 to 50k passive loss in that very first year of ownership thanks to 100% bonus depreciation from the cost seg stuff. So really interesting strategies there. I'm glad that you mentioned those three. And then you touched on the the cash flow kind of offsetting each other, which I love hearing about. I'm sure that there's interest rate arbitrage there as well on the interest rate that you're receiving versus the interest rate that you're actually paying out. That's really cool. So you, you buy a note that gives you cash flow of, so let's say 500 bucks a month and your debt service is 500 bucks a month. So just by you buying the note, you've kind of you know theoretically eliminated that debt payment, or at yep. least it's a one-to-one offset, which is really neat. Now, where do we find those types of notes? I know that I asked that earlier, but you, you said that you... Your son came to you and he said, hey, do you have any notes <laughs> laying around? Do you broker these notes? Is this something that people- Well, can we, yes. We, we sell notes weekly in our uh, weekly email newsletter. We sell Occasionally, we sell notes on our website. But there, a lot of times, the notes we sell were delinquent mortgages that are now reperforming. So you're able to buy them still at a discount. So when you buy it at a discount, that's what enables you to do some of these neat things. The one thing I, I do want to caution people, if you're going to buy non-performing notes in your qualified plan, I would absolutely have it with a servicer, which a servicer is like property management for a note, so to speak. If you're a real estate investor, you kind of, you know, if you owned a piece of real estate in your IRA account, it might make sense to have a property management company so that you're not like working on your own asset type thing. That's why I only caution it, especially with non-performing notes, you know, to have that servicer, that go-between in the middle, that middle person. So you don't disqualify your account. That was the one thing I was thinking of as you were talking. But 
No, there's tons of great strategies that you can employ. You know, you can utilize notes to do some neat things. Yeah, so, you know, before you mentioned uh, interesting things, you part of the note strategy is to be able to acquire properties, which is awesome. And that's why if you were going to do it on your retirement account, you need that third party intermediary type of thing to be the go between. But if someone wanted to say invest through their retirement accounts, what would you recommend? They want a nice passive investment. They don't have to think about, they don't have to worry about, you know, maintaining or servicing. In the note world, what would be that ideal investment, at least, you know, in your mind? Well, a lot of times people... Disclosure real quick that Dave is not your financial advisor. So please do due diligence Um, before you make an investment. You're absolutely right. And one of the first, you know, even when I'm talking to a brand new investor, the first question is what type of investor are you, right? What kind of capital do you have? Are you a high net worth investor? What kind of resources do you have? What kind of experience level do you have? What kind of time commitment do you have to learn the space? You know, all those things come into play. But, uh, you know, a lot of times people start out, like I was saying earlier, with, you know, maybe it's a first mortgage because you feel safer with a first mortgage. Maybe it's a performing first mortgage. And those types of investments are fairly safe if they're covered with equity. Now, could equity fall and you lose some of your money? Sure. I mean, it can happen. We tend to win more than we lose. That's pretty much the model that we have. So, you know, we've lost money on notes before, but we win, you know, we make money more than we lose money. So that's really what happens for us. So just keep that in mind. But I think the safe, there are safer notes and you pay up for equity. So you pay a premium for that. But at the same time, it enables you to do some other, some other neat things. The, the other thing we didn't really touch on is other finance hacks that are kind of related to notes that you can really build wealth with. And that could be things like the accelerated pay down of debt, you know, using a sweep account to pay off a, a mortgage or any loan for that matter in about a third of the time. So sometimes it's the movement of capital and thinking like the bank. You know, think about what a bank tells you. They tell you to park money. And if you look at the average person, they drop their money in a checking account and then they pay their you know, bills on the first or whatever. But in a 40-year period, their money sits idle for 30 years on average. So think about how you can move your money differently and uh, maximize things. And, and by a sweep account, sometimes people are using a home equity line of credit. They'll drop their paycheck on the line of credit and periodically pay down their first in an accelerated fashion. Or they'll invest in something with a higher yield than the first mortgage. But you get the idea. They can utilize their cash flow better. I'm not necessarily saying send extra. I'm saying it's the timing of the flow of your money. Uh, We always tend to look at the interest rate on what we borrow and the interest rate, you know, we're not looking at the money sitting idly, the opportunity cost. So there's there's opportunities for some of these finance tax in a lot of areas. You know, we show people how to get free life insurance too, overfund, borrow out, buy a note, pay pay off. You know, just different strategies and finance tax that are available, uh, utilizing notes in all areas of their life. You know. There seems to be a huge amount of strategies that you could use around notes and definitely something someone wants to dive deep into kind of before getting started or um, at least, you know, at least know what they want to do and what their motives are uh, to get into the note business. Just, uh, you know, I know we discussed tax a little bit before, but what would you say if you had to pick one strategy or one piece of advice that you ever received on the tax side of things, what would be that best piece of advice you ever received? Well, don't be cheap. Uh, (laughs) Now, uh, having the right accountant for the right job too. So I have a whole multitude of different accountants doing different things. You know, the guy that audits our funds, for example, that's all he does is audit funds. That's literally all he does, right? So it's just having the right accountant for the right job. And I think at different times in your life, you have different needs, obviously. And as you evolve 
through your lifetime, you have more and more, you know, different expertise that you need at different levels. Sometimes, you know, people confuse tax advice with, you know, actual planning or, or, you know, there's a difference between a tax return and accounting advice, right? And I think people mix that up sometimes. I know for me, there were a lot of times where I was in the dark about my financials. Like I didn't know enough about my P&Ls and my balance sheet, my cash flow statement, and I didn't realize what they were telling me. Probably my neatest thing today is I have an executive dashboard that reports to me not only the basic financials, but numbers from every department in my company, right? So I can kind of... I have an app on my phone. I it, This dashboard's in the cloud. I get daily reporting. I can kind of have my finger on the pulse of everything the company's doing, right? Well, I wasn't always set up like that, right? <laughs> I was the guy that was saving money, you know, early on in my career. And a lot of times it was, you know, not money very well saved, or I would just go get a tax return done. I would never get advice, you know, big mistake. And I think be careful who you're hiring and why and how you're finding that person, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's like two very key points that you just made in there. And the first one is that you can't skimp on your accounting budget, if you will. You want to always know what your numbers are and where the the income is coming from, where it's flowing out of. Um, and you know that becomes very important when you are making financial decisions within your business of maybe where to double down on or where to cut back on or where you could uh, where you can make adjustments and also very important for tax strategy um, and tax planning. Because if you don't know how much money you're bringing in and what your expenses are, how can you ever plan to mitigate the amount of tax you'll pay based off that money. And then the second thing you brought up too as well is that getting your tax returns done is slightly different than getting tax <laughs> advice. And some people you know, have a hard time wrapping their head around that or, or you know, go to their tax account at the end of the year and say, hey, how can I save money on my taxes? Meanwhile, the reality situation is you need to be getting that advice throughout the year and be really kind of proactive in making sure that you're actually receiving advice you know, in the first place and not just going in your tax returns done. So that was... It's very key right there. Well, I'll tell you one that's probably relevant today because a lot of people are starting to do syndications, whether it's for multifamily or whatever they're doing. Um, I know when I first started syndicating, one of the things I did was I went and hired a top accounting firm just for aesthetics. I literally bit the bullet, paid the freight to have a top well-known firm because I didn't have a lot of credibility at the time. I didn't have a lot of track record at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to spend a little bit extra. And then later on, when things are going well, don't say anything, but I dropped that expensive firm. But my point was, it helped me out initially. It was a smart move because it got me off the ground. It got me, you know, it gave me more credibility is what it did. Now, is that justified? Or maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it worked, right? So that was just a unique strategy of, Having the right accountant at the right time to do the right job to do something that was out of the ordinary, right? You might not normally think of that, right? But you know, definitely the credibility of who you have on your team can definitely boost your credibility situation. Right. I've been involved in, in a syndication before, and you know, we can say, you know, carefully considered who was going to be on our team from a law firm perspective, from an accounting firm perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's definitely important. But, you know, before we wrap up, just a few last questions. You know, in, in your business, I know you said you had a dashboard. Would that be your favorite piece of tech you use today? Or do you have another piece of technology that you just love to use? Well, we have a ton of technology because we're really a fintech company. Probably in addition to that would be basically the data warehouse that, you know, our data team builds, right? So we have a warehouse. Basically, all this data comes into this warehouse and they kind of can shuffle the deck and disperse the data back out in any kind of format we want. So 
we're big on data because the data is our secret sauce to our business because we have data on collections that banks don't have, things like that. So it's really our secret sauce. But it's probably this warehouse, you know, and the data team that I have. I mean, I have a guy that we recently hired, uh, took a company to $4 billion in auto debt. So he's helping us really build our data warehouse. So I love having all that, you know, available to us because let the data speak, right? It tells you a lot. We're the same way here at the Real Estate CPA. We're definitely big on data, collecting data, analyzing data, making sure that we're using that data to make a decision and kind of just circling back uh, before, you know, accounting is actually data too. And having those records is actually very important. So glad to hear you're a big fan of data, as are we. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about you and, and what you have going on, we do know you have the book on note investing through bigger pockets, but what would be the best way for them to contact you? Um, by all means, you can reach out to me on bigger pockets. We answer questions almost daily on there for people, you know, note questions, that type of thing. If you do get the book through Bigger Pockets, there are some bonus materials where it actually walks you through how to go out and buy a note and things we look at when we're buying a first mortgage or a second mortgage. If we go to a website, what do we look for? So that's probably helpful for a lot of people starting out. The other place is our website, pprnoteco.com, pprnoteco.com. And um, I know Brandon knows we throw uh, some pretty good events. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic Summit is a great place to connect with us as well. And then I do have a group of high net worth folks that meet regularly called the Strategic Investor Alliance. Uh, if you're a high net worth individual and you want to find out more of what we do, you can go to strategicinvestoralliance.com. And you know we, have, we share resources for high net worth folks, whether that is advisors or alternative investments. So. When is the Mid-Atlantic Summit? The Mid-Atlantic Summit is October 17th to 19th in this year, 2019. You better get a ticket because it's selling out quick. We're over two-thirds sold out. So, how do, how do people buy tickets? Oh, if you go online to the midatlanticsummit.com, you can probably still get a ticket, but it is a hot item. I think they'll be on StubHub at some point. <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> that's the level of success, right? Yeah, that's, that's when you know you've done it. <laughs> that or you need a bigger venue, but one or, <laughs> one or the other. All right. Well, we definitely appreciate coming on the show today, sharing your knowledge and experience with our listeners. Definitely sure. appreciate it and um, look forward to uh, getting this out there for everybody. No, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.